0: It's the United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And in today's world, it's all about the small businesses, right? And if anyone knows about our local
1: businesses, it's Bank of America. It's reassuring to know that you don't have to know everything because with a network like theirs, there is always someone who can help. Now the big question is, what would you like the power to do? Check out your local Bank of America or bankofamerica.com
0: to find out more. From the USHCC, this is In Her Footsteps, where we bring you conversations with dynamic Latina business owners who are helping drive the American economy and creating change in their local communities. In Her Footsteps is generously supported by Bank of America. I'm your host, Elizabeth Allard. Today I'm talking with Teresa Lawrence, President and CEO of Delta Personnel Inc. Thank you for joining me today, Teresa.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. So we wanted to talk about Delta Personnel and your journey starting, well, not starting this company, but running this company. So your story is a little different from many of our business owners that we interview here. You actually took over a family business after the passing of your father-in-law. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be the president and CEO of Delta Personnel?
1: Thank you. Um, that's a very challenging question. Sometimes <laughs> I can go in different ways. But one of the things that, um, that I did when I um, took over the company, it was a company that was struggling. And my goal was to reinvigorate the business model, hire a strong team of recruiters, and build strong relationships with the community. It was an uphill battle. But I was lucky enough to have the right people working with me and the support of my family and the community. I took each challenge one by one and worked diligently to grow Delta over the years. Primarily, focus was to build a company that I could be proud of. And profit margins weren't that important at the time. What was important, and is still important then as it is now, is to dedicate myself to helping people put food on their tables.
0: That's great. Can you talk to us a little bit about exactly what Delta Personnel is? So you do staffing, but I'm sure it's much more than just hiring people to fill jobs.
1: Yes, it is more than that. Um, We are an intricate part of partnerships um, built with community uh, leaders, with uh, corporations and government entities. So we position ourselves not to only create a need of filling a job order, but actually create the need of building a community surrounding diversity and inclusion. Um, We wanted to diversify the workforce that had come after Katrina. Mm -hmm. Um, We were blessed with a culture shock of um, all different um, Hispanics uh, from Honduras, uh, Nicaragua, Venezolanos, uh, Puerto Ricanos. Um, It was a canvas um, that was the catalyst of what Delta Personnel has become today. Um, We are a very proud staffing company. Uh, servicing the region for 50 years, but within the last 15 years, we consider ourselves more of a partner to the workforce community than anything else.
0: So how long had you been President and CEO of Delta before Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana where your company is located?
1: So I am just a little taking you back. I married into the family in Mm -hmm. 1988 to a wonderful human being named David Lawrence. Um, His father, Victor Lawrence, owned and operated a company called Delta Temporaries. Um, That same year when I married David, we found out that Mr. Lawrence, I call him Pops, had uh, been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, The company was in a lot of debt, and it was struggling. Um, We both had different jobs. Neither one of us had a staffing background, Mm -hmm. um, but we knew that we wanted to take the company into um, a more positive light. Uh, so, we both came in, um, in 1988, the company was 51% um, owned by Teresa Lawrence and 49% of myself, <laughs> uh, and then 49% for David, and that was um, a strategic move from the accounting per, you know, partner that we had working on, on, a, on our progress of, of getting the company out of debt. Um, I um, was a salesperson of the company. I learned a lot from my father-in-law, little bits and pieces that he could able to, to provide. Um, he passes away in 2000. My husband does not want to continue with this company anymore, and I said, I think I can do this. Um, did I know that I could do it? I'm not sure, but I knew that I had my passion of what I was doing for the people. I mean, everybody that I would come encounter had a story about how, why they needed a job, why they could change you know, the outcome of a company if if I just give them a chance. I mean, I love all those stories, and I think that interaction um, built that passion to continue, and so I became the owner full 100% uh, in 2000.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So you think really hearing from people about their personal stories and what they can do for the companies that you're trying to place them with, that was kind of like your aha moment where you were like, I can do this?
1: Everyone has a story. Everyone has a unique perspective of what they can do and they cannot do. You know, sometimes the the biggest change in someone's life is, 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 is when there's an um, adverse moment, a, a moment of, of fear. Like, I will not be able to get a job if I... Um, you know, can't do this or can't do that. So what I did, I, I dispel all that. You know, I, I, I when I meet with people, I say, well, tell me, don't focus about what you can't do because the job is calling for this. Tell me what you can do. And then and then start letting them tell you what their capabilities are. And once you start pulling that out of people and they say, and I can bring this and I can do that, or even if you give them some perspective of something that needs to be done and then they start the conversation and give you a whole different angle of how they could change that job and what that job should look like, it's a lot of fun to listen. Um, and then on top of that, you afford them a chance to change their living, to bring food to their tables, to their children, to, you know, you change, when you employ someone, you change their lives.
0: Yeah, a job is the most essential thing that a person can have, you know, really can change your life, like you were saying so going back a little bit to talking about hurricane katrina so you said you took over in 2000 it's 2005 you've been in the job for five years and this life-shattering hurricane strikes your city where you're living what did you do after that how were you able to rebuild delta and your community in the aftermath of this hurricane
1: so our our new orleans office was totally destroyed there wasn't just devastation to Delta personnel. It was a devastation to a whole entire community. Um, so my my resources, the things that, that I have to use are people. That's the only way that I can, I can grow businesses. And there were no resources in the city. Everyone had moved out. So we went to Baton Rouge, and we opened an office there. Um, crazy as this whole may sound, we bought two vans, and we started um, driving people back and forth uh, from New Orleans to to baton rouge and baton rouge to new orleans
0: really driving them in
1: vans vans yeah so and um, and and th- so the, the story goes like this you wake up at two o'clock in the morning you 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 know you start your van you go into somebody else's office which is a, at that time was another contractor and you put the people in the van and you drive them to to new orleans and then you wait till they finish and then you drive them back oh my gosh so it was a um, about um between New Orleans and Baton Rouge is a 60-minute drive. It's a 60-mile, it's a and it would take us six hours because, because, of the because of the roads.
0: So you drove 12 hours, basically, round-trip every day just to take employees to their job sites.
1: So we would leave at 2 in the morning, leave around 3 after we finish low in the van, and we'll come home around 11 o'clock at night.
0: Oh my gosh, that's real dedication to your job there. What do you think kind of drove you to make that sacrifice?
1: The people, um, building back the community. Um, it w- I remember sitting in the van one day and, sit- and just thinking through it. I was like, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. I need to go and buy groceries at the store that I used to buy groceries from. And I need to, um, you know, go buy coffee where I bought coffee from. And and all those things... Um, you start concentrating on one thing and then one time I remember just sitting in the van going I'm just gonna go to this hardware store and I walked into the Ace Hardware and I said you know are you guys trying to come back and he said yes and I said well do you need people (laughs) like to help you come back and clean up yes and so I said I have them and I and so little by little we uh, allocated some uh, trailers so that people could start living in that area and then uh, close to the Ace Hardware we so provided housing for them, too. We had to allocate, uh, you know, for the, for, for the ones that really wanted to, they didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of ties to them, but they could live in that place by themselves. Yes, we had to, um, we did a lot uh, of things that we normally would have not done. <laughs> I was going
0: to say, it sounds like you're doing a lot more than just providing people with jobs. You're providing the community kind of with a a reason, you know, to get up and do something every day after facing such devastation. So before you mentioned, you know, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina that the city itself changed and you had a lot of influx of different kinds of immigrants um, coming to the city. So how do you think Delta, how did you at Delta uh, manage that new influx of people and incorporate them into your existing jobs that you had available to staff?
1: I had never positioned my company as a Hispanic woman business until mm-hmm. Katrina so knowing that there was a disconnect between the community the people that were now in our community and the ability to have access to jobs kind of position my myself in the middle I wasn't a resourceful um, Hispanic-owned business before Katrina. I was a business owner that provided employment to the community. In this change, Katrina, um, I had a new layer of, of, of service that I personally wanted to provide. So that was, I started translating um, tools, you know, if it was Matillo, Hammer, you know, like I, I started... The basics, b- basics <laughs> you know, so they could communicate. And they were... Uh, people that wanted just to, 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 to make a living. And so the, the, the challenges were they couldn't communicate. So putting two and two together and, and putting myself in the middle of that was kind of like the thing that made me turn things around for me personally, because then I had a purpose. I wasn't doing things for me, I was mm-hmm. doing it for someone else.
0: So diversity serving as a source of your strength in the business, giving you a purpose. Yes, he did. So would you tell other people who are starting their own businesses? Because you say, you know, yourself, you weren't specifically thinking, I'm a Latina, I'm a business owner, and that's something that is an asset for me. Would you say that that's important for other Latina business owners like yourself to take advantage of, you know, your culture and your background and be able to turn that into business success?
1: I think that sometimes um, we misread what people expect from us. Sometimes I think that um, we, we throw that first card out the deck. We're Latina-owned businesses, but we really are, are women that can bring a different perspective to businesses. Um, Latinas have a different characteristic. We're very troubleshooters. You know, we like, we can connect the dots and we bring everybody together. Y este es esta y esta la otra lo ponemos así. Um, diferente from, from um, the male counterparts. So, um, do I use my Latina um, classification as a, a woman-owned business? Um, yes or no. Uh, my mother and my grandmother mm-hmm. were the drivers of, of my life. Um, there wasn't a barrier that I couldn't cross, every, 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 every expectation that they had of me was that I, would, I was going to exceed their expectations, not just mine but theirs. When we're in business with other women um, and and in, in, you know, we're all uh, conversating and sharing ideas, I don't think that I'd come up to you and say, look, I'm Latina, so listen to me. I think, I, I think it's more like I'm a woman and you're a woman. And we have a very common denominator, which is we nurture, we Mm -hmm. we care, we listen, uh, and we try to negotiate and we try to get to the middle ground. Um, Those two things together, you know. But if, if the Spanish language helps someone progress, then that, by all means, you need to use that, which is in my case what I had to do.
0: So you're saying just trying to find something that connects you with the people that you're trying to work with, whether it's a shared language or shared values or just a shared work ethic, you think that kind of drives your success being able to connect yourself with people that you're doing business with?
1: And your culture, you know, it's it's easy to connect cultures. Um, I enjoy uh, meeting other uh, Spanish-speaking people, but I more particularly enjoy meeting Latinas.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I I, I think that's fantastic.
0: So you mentioned your mother and your grandmother and that they were really strong influences in your life. Do you think that your experience being raised by them has affected how you are as a business owner and influences your work ethic and how you run your company?
1: Absolutely. Um, they had a very relentless spirit. They. Um, I'll give you something funny. My grandmother, I remember my grandma distinctively saying, "Do not depend on anyone but yourself." She said, "You never know where where the where you're going to be, where where you're going to be taken to and you need to depend on you, no one else." Even when I married David, she would say, "Do <laughs> not stay home, do not you go to work and you side by side with him and and don't ever think that he's doing everything. You need to check and double check and triple check." So, the drive was so strong that I had nothing else but but to, to prove to her I did it, he, and we're going for it. I remember, look, I, I went to school, and uh, I was very blessed that the Catholic school uh, brought me in. And my, I would come home every day, and I would come, you know, I, I am an eighth grader going to a fifth grade, and no one spoke Spanish. And, uh, and and my mother, you know, would listen to me every day, and I would say, Mama, you know, I, I, I don't know, I can't go to the bathroom. They don't even know what I'm saying. And she said, Listen, Teresa, you're not the cream in everybody's coffee. Not everybody's gonna like you. So find the people that do and learn English from them. But stop telling me about the people that don't like you.
0: Like that. That's a little bit tough love like, right there.
1: She's like, stop it with that, you know? But um she um they just they're just women that um they just wanted me to succeed. It, it wasn't it the the first thing she said, you don't have a father, because you know, in our, in our culture, you have the man that drives you, and the man, you know, respect of the house, at least— you That's know, a very uh,
0: strong element, yes.
1: And, and you know how that is, you know, <laughs> your father—and and so I didn't have a father. Um, my father was, was left in Cuba, um, and we left on February 7th of 1973, and my father was hung in 1977. So we knew at that point that there was no point of him ever coming to America. And my brother, um, uh, you know, lost that that, that, that figure, you know, mm-hmm. for him. But my mother and my grandmother were so strong that I was not to miss him. But the only thing that they were instilling in me was, you don't have a man, a father figure that would stand up for you in case something goes wrong. So you have to stand for yourself. No one would stand for you. And uh, that was...
0: Do you think that... You know, message to yourself that you have to stand on your own two feet, you know, to be your own, you know, support network. Do you think that helped you expand Delta, you know, to kind of take it to the next level, having that ethic inside yourself that, you know, you can do it. You can put your mind to it and you can do it.
1: It starts so early in your life that you don't, you almost become numb to it because I don't think that I have the power to do that. I think a lot of it has, the way that I was born, the way that um, that my life was shaped. Um, I had to leave everything behind. So losing everything in Katrina didn't mean anything to me, as it might have meant to other people because I had already lost so much before and we rebuilt right back, rebuilt our lives. So it's just a matter of taking that first step and, 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 and driving it. Um, as I look back, I always think like God was there for me Then, why would he not be here now?
0: Speaking of looking back, what were some mistakes that you made early on, and how have you learned from them?
1: When you think of mistakes, um, I make one every day. So it's so uh, you know it's um, for us. Is my whole entire life has always been breakdowns. If I don't have those breakdowns, then there are no breakthroughs. There's no great ideas if there's no fear. Like, you have to be put in in that space. And if you're not placed in that space and nothing comes about, then everything stays stagnant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I like mistakes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mistakes are how you learn if you do everything correct in your life and you'll never never have that opportunity to maybe learn to do something better.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we're still self-judgment. About you know you judge yourself constantly whether whether you said the right thing whether you blinked or I mean we do this this thing that that brings and just tears you up every you know you, so I I tried to say okay well at least this will happen <laughs> it's like like is this the worst thing that can happen okay then no, I'm probably good. not okay <laughs> okay then I'm good you know like you always think um, but but sometimes um, when there's not enough. Age is not enough. Living that has taken place, and um, we're so self-motivated to to say I got to be perfect instead of just saying I can do it. It's not so like so. When you say mistakes, I think of you know I I I love mistakes. Those are those are the best ideas that I come up with. You know when I have a mistake, those are because you got to think quick on your feet. You got to troubleshoot fast, and you got to come up with an answer. I I like uh, clients that challenge me. Um, you know they said Teresa you said that this was going to be done by 12 o'clock and it's 12:30. you know and I said can you believe it you know then no, 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 I would just come up with something you know I know but it, I mean you just like I, I just like your brain just starts thinking you start just thinking going. about how well, what do I say next you know so I know I I got off the subject but I, I like being um I like mistakes I don't know if I you know it's not learning from them it's more like new stuff comes out of it you know it's like okay we started it's
0: always a new day when you make a mistake you know something is always a little bit different
1: it is Mm -hmm. isn't it great I mean I know people people are hard on themselves when they make a mistake I think
0: women especially uh, there's a lot of thought that you have to be perfect or that any mistake kind of gives an opportunity for somebody to say maybe a woman shouldn't do this or maybe you know they're not really cut out for this but what you're saying is important. That mistakes are how you learn. They're how you grow.
1: That's it. There's not. There's no pain in that. I mean, um, breakdowns, breakthroughs. You know, and I say that to you know. You, and you have to be put that on a bumper sticker. You, and you've got to have fear <laughs> to have. If you don't have fear, there is no challenge. I've told right, I tell my children every day. Francesca used to play basketball. She won a scholarship. You know, she was. She's six. My husband is six seven. My daughter is six one. That one that lives in New York, and she would be so scared about not making it to the Nationals. And I was like, well, be scared. <laughs> I want you to be scared to death because otherwise you'd be thinking, oh, I can do this. Oh, no, I don't want you to think like that. I want you to be like, okay, be on your guard, be ready, be challenged. You know, if you don't have fear. I, I, I agree, I, I'm probably not very... This is my mother, my grandmother, by the way. Teresa, (laughs) ¿qué te pasa? You know, like that.
0: I think you are touching on a really important thing. You're right. There is a very strong culture, I think, especially among, like, professional women and, you know, maybe especially if you're a younger woman that, you know, everything has to be, like, perfect, that you have to be, you know, mistake-free and you you have to be on all the The time. time. And if you're not, then that shows this kind of weakness and it gives people that opportunity to say, you know, well, maybe, you know, this just goes to show, maybe a woman shouldn't be the president and CEO of a company. Like, look at what she's doing. She's making these mistakes. She's, you know, giving us this opportunity to be like,
1: mm. I, I I'm going to tell you, the worst thing that you can do is that you can think you can do everything. The best thing you can do for a company is surround yourself with the people that can do it. Do not look at yourself as a weakness to your company uh, when you're not able to look at a spreadsheet or look at a, you know a, a profit loss sheet or or you can't come up with the right percentage you know of, of profit margins you hire the best you surround yourself with a circle of trust and then that is is what propels your company forth don't rely 100% on yourself rely on a circle of people that you create that they become so integrated so Crossed over so tight, tight knitting that they weaved. So they net weaved, not networked. They, they, a net weave is una cadena así que you can't separate. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what makes a company grow. So I don't have to know everything. You have to hire people that know more than you, so you can grow. I, I, I love hiring uh, people with MBAs because I sit there and and you know I didn't finish college, so I sit there and I go, okay. I, let's go with that. You know, not necessarily that I think I am weak, but I think I will weaken my my, my company if I thought that I could do everything. Um, mistakes are are, are part of, of of the deviation of your path, because if you don't deviate, then you don't analyze. You have to deviate to analyze. You have to you have to have that aerial view. Um, and the side view and in the, the up view, so you can be able to say, "Oh man!" or oh, "Oh wow!" You know, you it's the way it's the perception uh, of today's uh, women, of other women as well, of, of whether um, someone is thin or or not or heavy, and then so you start characterizing that person as weak, whether she's too thin or too heavy, instead of of just reaching out, getting, getting that, that support that that person might need, you know. And, and, I, and I know I talk about weight because that was the subject matter earlier today. They were like, you know, I'm fat. I'm, I was like, I can't come here talking about fat or heavy. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, they, they, one of the things that I thought about was like, if you surround yourself with people that, like, you're not decreaming everybody's coffee, find the right people. But if you surround yourself with, with people that can make a difference in you personally, Everything else will pour into your business if if you have if you have that inside you, all you're going to do is pour see i I think about people that don't share good ideas or they keep every idea. Wisdom is free, and wisdom is given the more wisdom you give out, the more the community becomes a better company, a better company, a better world to live. I mean you know I want to share as much as I can I want to share what I know how to do um, I, But some of the people think that if you share too much, then you become weak. Like, oh, she, she doesn't know what she's, you know, she shouldn't do so much.
0: No, I think it's really important that you are able to share with your employees, you know, your expertise and take from them their expertise as well. So Delta Personnel has over 900 employees. How do you manage all of that? How do you know that you are picking the right people? What do you think helps you kind of make that decision, as you were saying together, weaving all those people so that they're giving you the best support network to run your company that's possible.
1: Um, the best thing that I think I bring to the table when we're talking to our clients is, we do test for skills, but we hire for culture. It is a, a very unique fit of what we bring to our, our clients. And that is, is, we actually do a lot of profile testing. I, I know you're able to do the job, but can you do it in this circle? Can you do it in, in a teamwork environment? Can can you uh, be analytical? Can you take criticism? Um, building a team takes a minute. Um, it, it's not something that you can automatically build. It, it takes a while to build a good team that, that works in synergy. Um, we do have over 900 employees um, in different accounts. One of our largest accounts holds 300 employees. Um, it is probably the hardest. Um, uh, combination of personalities we've ever built, but it's probably the most successful one. A um, div- very diverse group, um, which allows uh, that company to be creative. You know, the more diverse that that group is, the better the opportunities of growing uh, within the company and growing the company.
0: Our final question for our listeners here is What are you planning to do with Delta personnel in the future? What are your plans?
1: Well, within the last year, DPI has focused on diversifying our services. Recently we won a three and a half million dollar contract with the New Orleans Ernest Montreal Convention Center. The facility <laughs> it's huge. The facility is the sixth largest convention center in the nation and it's consistently ranking in the country's top ten facilities to hold conventions. This is the first time in the history of the Convention Center that a $3.5 million contract has been awarded to a minority-owned, disadvantaged business, enterprise-certified business. In the past, the awards were given to large contractors without any minority status.
0: That's amazing, but a little crazy that it took all the way until 2019 for that to happen.
1: Uh, and, And you know, for us, it's a good way to include um, more minority opportunities in the city of New Orleans. Um, when we were working on this contract, um, not only did we want the business, but we wanted to make a statement. So I reached out to the Black Chamber and partner up with Cleaning Concierge, which is a disadvantaged business as well, African American-owned company who had dealings with, I had dealings with in the past. And the concept was to bring two diverse minority-owned businesses, like a Latina and an African American-owned business. Um, and to bid under one contract. Uh, My goal at the beginning was not that we were going to win the bid, but that we would send a message to the boards that there is synergy in our businesses and there is an opportunity for us to work together should it be awarded to us. It wasn't really thought that we would get it. Winning the contract was only the beginning. We had to mobilize an entire diverse workforce and we immediately reached out into the community to make sure that Everyone knew that we wanted to create a diverse work environment, so we reached out to the Asian community, reached to the Croatian community, uh, the Hispanic community, and the African-American communities. In other words, we wanted to send a very clear message that we are a business driven by multicultural, multiracial goals greater than ourselves. We want to be the flagship that the City of New Orleans needed to open and continue to open doors for partnership opportunities between minority-owned businesses. Our drive to succeed with this contract coming together was beyond profit margins at that time. It was about people coming together to work together and share their multicultural, multiracial community. Now, when people come from all over the world and in the U.S., they can identify themselves with who they speak with, so in other words, if, if you have a Vietnamese uh, attending our conference, or if you have a, a Russian coming to our country, they can speak in their language and identify themselves, as well as the people in the U.S. And we don't just want people to come to New Orleans and be impressed about what we did. We want them to leave with the impression that they can bring this back to their own communities and build communities that are diverse and inclusive.
0: Well, that's a really amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. And thank you so much for joining with, to speak with us today. Uh, it's really been an enlightening conversation about how business is more than just about dollars and cents. But it's really about the people in the community that you affect. So thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of In Her Footsteps. Don't forget to like and subscribe to In Her Footsteps wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and share our episodes on your social media. In Her Footsteps is produced by Michael Saltz. You can find more episodes wherever podcasts are available or at ushcc.com backslash inherfootsteps. Special thanks to Bank of America, who sponsors the In Her Footsteps initiative at the USHCC.